All right, cool. How's it going, Tyler? Hello. It is doing awesome. Good to uh, good to be here on video with you. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I have to tell people, so this podcast is usually listened by people who either run or want to start running a SaaS software as a service company. But they most of the people also know that I run the Reddit, the subreddit SaaS. So I have to tell them that we've got a new from these laptops because you've done a very successful AMA on Reddit Entrepreneur. I've read it. I was reading through the comments and I really loved your attitude. So I said, all right, he, uh, Tyler said he's, he used to shoot from the hip. Let me take a lesson from his playbook and just shoot from the hip and, uh, invite him out. And then it just happened a couple of hours or I guess minutes once we got a hold of each other. So, um, this is the, the, the context, what would be your one minute, uh, not pitch because you're you're not selling anything here. Uh, what would be your one minute bio to just for the people that will have first listened to you and then check out the AMA, which I'll be linking in the in the episode. Yeah, I mean, the short version is our company provides efficiency solutions for people fixing commercial trucks and off highway equipment. That's that's really what we do. And you know, our story in the, the quick elevator pitch, it was seven years ago. It was me and my garage and dining room table. And I just kind of wanted to make a living for myself. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I had a, a wife that stayed at home and uh, I thought I'd make a living at it. And, you know, here we are, you know, we'll do over 50 million in revenue this year. We're a profitable company. We're figuring out the SaaS stuff as well as we go here. Um, and we got about 200 employees. Um, so it's just been a really quick, fast ride. It's got us on the Inc. 5000, Inc. 500 list, fastest growing company in South Carolina. Uh, been in the top five the last four years, five years now. And we won uh, Exporter of the Year with the uh, U.S. Small Business Association for South Carolina. So we're kind of firing on all cylinders and we're, we're, you know, it's been quite a ride, quite a journey. We've learned a lot and I got a feeling I got a lot more to learn, but we're, we're getting there one step at a time. That's fantastic. And see exactly what you just pointed out is what I love about your story. As you were replying to people, as you were sharing what you've been through, this is how it felt like it was unfolding one step at a time. You didn't set out to make this a bazillion unicorn Uber sort of business. And here you are. Uh, I just uh, I've gotten the calm vibe from from your answers. And that's what I really, really appreciated uh, in a world where there seems to be a lot of noise. Uh, you seem to have a lot of uh, signal. So congrats for that. Congrats for all the achievements you've, you've mentioned and uh, for what's coming up ahead, because now we'll keep on compounding. You've mentioned you started this as a means to provide for your family and children. Uh, is it in any way, uh, do you feel like you're in any way slowing down? And I kind of know that the answer is no, but I'll ask you, do you feel like you're slowing down in any way now that you're clearly able to provide for your family? You know, I, I think everyone, what you're really asking there is, you know, what that comes back to is, is, is what's your why? Like, why are you doing this? And I can say that why for me has changed a lot. At, at first it was, why am I doing this? Oh, I just want to provide for my family. And I, I think I can do that and hang out with my kids. They're small. They're only young ones. So I, I think I can do that work from home by the pool. And I, I think I tried that for one day and I, I figured I got to keep growing this thing. Uh, but then, then quickly it, it turned into like, wow, man, could I, can I really make this like a, a business? And, you know, it's hiring those first couple employees and moving out of the garage and dining room table into, into a, a building and, and doing all that stuff. And you start to think, man, I, I really can make this a business. And you're like, man, can I make this a scalable business where I can get this thing to, 
10, 20, 30, 40 million a year in revenue. And we, we quickly saw the path to that. And the interesting thing now is our why, our why has even changed again. We've kind of checked those boxes. So you're like, okay, well, what's next? What's motivating us? Why do we keep doing this thing? And really now I look at it and I'm like, man, you know what? How many, how many companies and people can be put in a position to change the way their industry functions? And there's not a lot of companies that can say that. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to accomplish that or not, but that's our goal now. So, so now it, it's funny because everyone, you know, I, I hear from family members, even my wife, like, oh, why do you keep chasing the money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you guys got it wrong. I'm, I'm chasing a dream and a, a thing over here. And the money's the byproduct that's coming off of the success and things that we're doing. And I think that's partly why we're so successful because we're not chasing dollars around and profit around. We're just out there solving problems. And when you solve problems, the money just happens to flow to you because you're saving people time and money at the end of the day. And they're willing to pay for that. So it, it's been an interesting journey. And I, I can say now I'm more passionate now. I'm more excited about our future now. Like we went from zero to 50 million quick. I now see the path to us getting to 100 million in a couple of years, which is just insane. And, and, and the path beyond that and the ability to go affect an entire industry and the way things are done in the repair world when trucks and equipment break down. So to me, that's exciting. Our chance to put a little, a little dent in the universe, right? So we'll, we'll take it. That's very well pointed out that indeed the question behind was talk to us about the why, the why change, as you very pointed out. Do you ever think about the why changing once you reach an, maybe another muscle? Maybe it's 100 mil, maybe it's more than that. Does it scare you? Does it excite you that the why will change probably even at a later point? Yeah, I, there's always a little bit of, I mean, anyone that tells you they're not scared of the future is lying to you, right? Because, <laughs> because let's face it, I mean, we've talked about this here hey, we could go stop reinvesting all this profit we make into these future things that generate no profit. Like we've been doubling down, doubling down, doubling down for, for almost seven years now. And you get those moments like, man, if I just stopped all that, I could go net out a couple million dollars out of this business pretty quickly every year and probably live off that for a while. But then there's that thing in the back of your head that's like, man, but that's, that's the short-term play. There's a long-term play here. We can do 10X that if we keep doing and executing and doing these things. So there, there's a lot of that that goes on there. So, you know, running any business is scary, especially as you start to release new products and those products to replace your old products that are selling well. Like you kind of have, have that dynamic going on there, which, which causes a lot of concern. And, you know, you kind of go back to the entrepreneurial shoot from the hip. We used to just do change things and just go do them. Now we try to use a little bit of, you know, reasoning and a little bit of data and a little bit of, every little tool we can get to, to ascertain, is this a good thing that we should do or not? So things are already, can tell going a little bit lower, but you get a lot more information and let's face it, the decisions have a lot more commas in them now than, than they did seven years ago. Yeah, I'll get into a second, into something you've very nicely pointed out, the uh, old making way for the new in terms of products and what you have in your offering. But uh, be before that, um, you've got all these products, all these things under one, umbrella but you've started with one thing i remember you mentioned that in the beginning you started just repackaging what other companies did yep. you took up on a a lot of uh, uncertainty and I'm, i understand how biased i am saying this and uh, a sizable chunk of my audience because we um we you know software and but also physical hardware with the people that I'm interacting on the daily in my subreddit is mainly, mainly software and anything that is a mention of physical, they're like, oh, not that, 
that's 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 the complicated part we're not doing we're not getting into that so you've taken upon the uncertainty of uh what they are taking upon what we are taking upon and a bit more how how did that feel like uh i know you were i know you said in one of the answers that you were in the industry but you couldn't have known everything much like no one does so walk us through how you uh, grapple with this uncertainty kind of the broad general question that i have in here yeah so you know where it started with was people just had a problem and their problem was I have a truck in my shop. It's broke. I need a computer in order to fix it. And for at first, the answer for us was simple. Nobody, as crazy as this sounds, a decade ago, nobody sold one tool you could just hook up to a truck that, in, that would let you do that. You had to go buy a laptop from somebody. You had to go buy diagnostic software to put on the laptop from somebody else. And then you had to buy that interface piece that goes between the truck and the laptop from a third party. So and at the end of the day, you have a 50-year-old shop owner that just wants to fix a truck who's trying to install software, do firmware updates, and connect to Bluetooth. It's just it's outside their skill set to do those things. So it was it was a lot more easy for us back then. Um, and we just took other people's products and we put them together and said, oh, now here's a complete solution ready to go out of the box. And we marked it up a bunch. And people didn't seem to mind at all because the problem we solved was their time. And they don't have time to deal with that. They just wanted to be able to hook up and diagnose their trucks. And as we were going through all that, you just start to hear from customers, man, I wish it did this. I wish it did that. You got a great tool that tells me the code. How do I fix the code? Well, that's a different thing. Let's go build that for the customer. So as time went on, we just kind of kept out building out and building out and listening to our customers and building that mode around our business. So all of a sudden we find ourselves a couple of years later going to market saying, well, look, I can sell you not just the diagnostic tool, I can sell you all the repair information. Mm -hmm. And I have a call center staff with diesel techs to help you fix things over the phone and over the internet. Yep. And I have this parts lookup stuff and we do training. So you start to do all those things that we were giving away for free and you start to bundle them all up together. And all of a sudden our customers, when they go talk to somebody else, they find out they don't get any of those other things. And those things are very important to them. So it took us a while to get to that point. And then, it, you know, I always say, hey, it's a bunch of dumb truck guys over here trying to figure out how to be a software company. Um, and we, we said, hey, maybe, maybe those things we're giving away for free are so good. We should just go create their own revenue streams for them. And diesel repair, we turned that into a SaaS product. We're about to do it with our tech support for our call center. We've even rebundled how we sell our kits to customers to make it more easy and simplified and more affordable for them to buy. So uncertainty of tough things in business. There, there's no doubt about it. And look at my business. I'm in the business of diesel. And diesel is like a dirty word now because everyone's talking about electric, right? Yeah. That's the question we get asked all the time. What are you going to do? Everything's going electric. Well, there's a lot of good things there too. And there's a lot of opportunity there as well. So I, that's one of the big things that really kept pushing me was when I first started selling the kits, what happens once everybody has a kit? <laughs> then what do I do? Like, where's <laughs> my customer base? Like, what? How am I, how am I going to deal with that? And you we look at automotive in, in the automotive world, you can probably go down to any automotive store in the country, whatever country you're in. And there's probably a multitude of options you can buy for diagnostic tools from $20 code readers to $10,000 tools. And our industry wasn't that way. It's getting that way, but it will be that way. So we're like, man, we really, we really have to go execute and do these other things if we want our company to be around for 10, 20, 30 years. And that's how we look at uncertainty is we just got to keep doubling down and investing in it and, and making it something better for us. And 
you talk about being scared. I mean, that's a lot of it was, man, what do I do once everyone has a kit? Like, I got to, I got to figure out the long-term plan here at diesel laptops else we won't make it for very long. All right. So you half had the plan figured out and the other half you figured out once you got to having those customers. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. It took us a while to get a big customer base and to do all those things, a lot of guerrilla marketing and a lot of things out there to go grow our brand name. Um, and it, it's, it was get the customers first and it's always easier. People always say it, right. It is much easier to go sell the same customer, another product versus mm -hmm. finding a new customer. Um, and so now we're starting to leverage the fact that we have great brand recognition. We have tens of thousands of customers that have these diagnostic tools. And now we're going to them saying, Oh, by the way, would you like training? Would you mm -hmm. like to get the SaaS platform for repair information and access from your mobile device? Would you like to, you know, it just gets much easier to keep growing your business and selling that same customer solutions mm -hmm. that help them out at the end of the day. Um, and don't get me wrong, we've totally screwed up here and we've made too many products with too many names. I've had to reshuffle things and figure things out, but that's all part of the process. You just, you just kind of go with it. And our process is still like, we want to move fast, but let's not, let's not move super slow either. Mm -hmm. uh, but as your company grows, you get more people, more divisional managers, it you know, inevitably slows down a little bit, but we still think we move a lot faster than our competitors. So many splinters of this conversation that I want to have. I wish we could have four conversations at the same time <laughs> in parallel universes. When you, when you cut and slash, when you have to get that hammer and sadly hammer some products, what have you learned? What would you tell yourself looking back to you who hasn't hammered any product yet to you fr from you today, who's had to do it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll talk from a product side at first. And I, I said it earlier, I'm, I'm a guy that's been around truck repair my whole life. And I went to school for computer engineering. I know how truck dealerships work. I know how trucks, I know the process they go through and they break down and how parts were cured and diagnosed and all these things. Um, what I didn't know is how to, how to be a software company. So, you know, that was a challenge for us. You know, I, the words I didn't know at the beginning of the year were Kanban boards and scrum masters and agile, like all, all these things. And, you know, you think as the owner of your company, you know, what's best. And, you know, I, I made some hiring mistakes. I brought some of the wrong people in that said, I know what a software company looks like. And they were here a year and we, we didn't look like a software company. <laughs> so we've, we've had to find the right people. And I think we finally hit that stride now where we got the right executive teams and the exact managers in here. So we can at least be a software company and, you know, do the sprint meetings and planning and all those things that, that happen inside software companies. So from that side, you know, I'm feeling much more comfortable in who we are as a company and, and where we're going. On the product side of things, um, we're really quick to put a product out there with the bare minimal features and just get it in their hands and start getting data back out of it, start getting feedback out of it and figuring out if it's worth it or not. We've built a lot of products that have been really, really good and we've kept growing them. And we've bought a lot of really shitty products that never that we should have never even brought to market, but we failed on them pretty quickly and we learned what didn't work. And some of those first failures are now in their version two and they're much better and they're successful products or will be successful products to be learned our lessons. And that's, that's part of business. You, you just, you know, we're not, we're not, I always tell people like, we're not like a traditional retailer or someone doing something. We are figuring out new products and new services to better our industry. And when you're doing that, there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns that happen in that process. And you got to get out there quick and just put them in people's hands and get feedback and just, just keep going full speed ahead. I need to double down on my question. So when you, when you kill a product, so what, what makes you say this, we have to kill this, let's keep it. This works great. Is it a monetary value? Is it, I mean, sometimes it's freemium, so it can't always be that. 
Do you set a milestone beforehand? What makes you tell the difference? Yeah, we, we want everything to be simple. So that's where actually where we start. Hmm. So nice. for an example, today I'm wearing a shirt called Truck Parts Premium. So right. we had this great idea to do with truck parts. Like you got to think about it. We sell tools to fix trucks. Well, what do you need to actually fix the truck? A part, okay. right? So like, hey, let's get in that business of, of parts. So first we launched a platform um, and we said, hey, this is a platform where you can cross-reference parts. Put in your part number. We'll show you every other competing part. We call that truck parts cross. And then customers said, that's great. We love it. Uh, but we don't know what part number we need to buy. I'm like, oh, well, we'll make another platform called Truck Parts Lookup. And this one will let you look up the parts you want to buy. And then you can cross them into the aftermarket. And that was great. And then customers started asking other questions. And we said, oh, well, we got this great database. Let's, let's, we can do these things called, uh, we called it, yeah, Truck Parts Premium, where we could do inventory analysis and we can do mass crossing and all these things in our industry. And all of a sudden we're at a show uh, to do with truck parts. And I'm trying to explain to the customer all three of these things. <laughs> and it, it was horrible. They, they would, they, you could tell they were confused. They didn't know what we were talking about. And we came out of that like, man, people were excited when we told them the features, but they did not understand what we're trying to do here at all. Um, and we had the same problem going on with our repair information. We had one that did labor times, one that did wiring diagrams, one that did fault codes. And we end up with all these logos and all these things. I couldn't even explain it clearly to my wife. And I was like, man, we got, I got a problem here. We, we got we to gotta figure this out. So in that case, we said, hey, these three brands, and don't get me wrong, we spent a lot of money and had a lot of app installs and all these things. And we said, they all need to go away. And we need to call them just diesel parts. And let's make one platform that has all these modules inside of it. And let's do the same thing with repair. Let's take these 10 modules, 10 websites, jam them into one and call it diesel repair. It just clarified the message very quickly with everybody that we were talking to. Um, and I remember vendors coming in here and CEOs and strategic partners. We had this wall with all the logos on it and we were all excited and proud of it. And now I look at it like, man, that is one of the biggest mistakes I, I, I've done around here at Diesel Laptops. Um, but you know, you got through it. And again, it's just the baby steps and the learning steps that you go through that. So, so that it's that and it's usage. So we have a couple products that just have really low usage and it's not worth the, it's not worth the effort to try to promote them. A lot of them are freemium products. So we'll just roll them up into our other products and create more bundles and more value for customers when we do those things. Um, and some of it's, some of it's really tough. So we sell $10,000 diagnostic tools. These are professional level. They hook up to trucks, they read codes and read sensors and do commands. Well, now I have, I have a tool. I don't know if I have one here. Yep, right here. Now I got this little tool I'll put on camera for the people watching. It's, it fits in the palm of my hand yeah. um, and it costs less than 350 bucks and it does a lot of what my $10,000 tools do. Hmm. So, you know, you look at it and go, man, I, I can go sell a ton of these, but what am I going to give up on the $10,000 sale? And that's, that's kind of the challenges you have and you have to constantly be thinking about the long-term versus the short-term effect. Yourself. Yeah, I mean, because if I don't do it, somebody else will. In and a then, then I get a bigger problem, right? Yeah. So- then you guys got to work through the models and figure out how you're going to adapt and change your company as technology changes. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, you, you most people listening to this are in the technology business. It, it changes so quickly, so fast that you have to stay ahead of it before someone comes and eats your lunch. So that's been a lot of the mentality we have around here is we never go back to the dollars and revenue and we don't do budget projections on new things. We just say, let's go, what can we create to go solve a problem for our customer? Once we do that, then we figure out, okay, is it a free thing? Do we roll it into something? Is it something else? Where's it best fit for our customers so that it's easy for them to explain?
and easy for everyone to understand. So, so that's kind of how we go to it. You're applying the innovator's dilemma to yourself within your own company, which is which is why the, the book was written in the first place. Another thing you mentioned about simplicity that you always try to do things in a simple manner now, and I love the story. Um, would you agree that everybody, anybody who's obsessed with simplicity has had to go through that phase where they, they wake up one day and they say, this shit is too complicated. We need to, it's way too much. Everybody I've seen that is obsessed with simplicity, uh, be it a CEO of a software company or interior designer or whatever, has had to go through that phase where they keep, because it always creeps into something more it, heavier and heavier. It, it does. I mean, you. that's why diesel laptops got started <laughs> was because it was too complicated Correct. for people yeah. to go buy all the things they needed to buy. Yeah. And I'll even say today, that's the, that's the, that's the main focus we have on. So I'll tell you a story about our industry. A diesel technician works on a truck. He uses one piece of software to figure out what's wrong with the truck. Most other places, he has to go to another piece of software to find actually how to fix the problem the laptop told him. And then he has to go to another system to actually look up the parts that he needs. And then he has to go to another system, usually to generate a purchase order and procure the part and all those things. And our industry today still operates the same way it did 50 years ago, where I need a part, I either have to drive to a, to a truck parts store and throw the part up on the counter, or I have to call them with my VIN number and get price and availability. Maybe they have it in stock, maybe they don't with all the shortages going on. And we're sitting here like, man, it's 2021. Why is the world operating like this? Why can't I just have a bulk code and see my part number I need to buy? and my price and my availability and hit it and it shows up at my doorstep. And it's problems like that, that those solutions should exist. They don't for a lot of reasons. So we step in and say, look, we think we can do that. Cause if we can do that, now we're not selling diagnostic tools. Now I'm involved in the $34 billion a year parts industry selling commercial truck parts, which I'd rather have a piece of that versus the diagnostic tool industry. And we'll completely change the game because now who's making the purchasing decision, not the guy that's calling around, it's in the software. And we right. think at the end of the day, we don't need to be price competitive with parts. If people just know the part they want, they'll hit a button and it'll show up. They will take simplicity every single day of the week versus the old school way. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Market dynamics is something else I'd like to talk to you. You, uh, It's pretty obvious that the industry you were in before you started was already big. We're talking uh, billions. Let's just say that. At the same time, you've also innovated. So something a lot of people have to go through, and this is after countless conversations with them, they come to this realization, which you've had already of, or you, you've you already incorporated by this point, at least, uh, that, you know, I thought I had to always invent something new and innovate. And I was so obsessed with innovating that I, you know, I was too far away from the real world. Whereas this gal or guy I've seen, they've just copied the business, something that was already working and blah, blah, blah. You have a bit of both. Um, do you ever look for something that already works? Because so when you started, you said this, this, this and this exists. It's just that they're not together. You started from convenience or, you know, bundling stuff into at this moment, starting your own stuff, innovation. You've also been burned because that's the game there. You play with fire, you get burned. But that's how you learn where it hurts and where it doesn't. And um, uh, yeah, what's What's your gut feeling here? What 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 is it that makes this go? Yeah, um, let's see. From the at the end of the day, yeah, we don't 
want to be constantly chasing down and creating new products and services. And it goes back to a little bit of the conversation you started, you mentioned earlier, where, yeah, we're mainly, we got this hardware component of our business. Where we want to get it to is where we go to customers with software solutions, and those solutions drive the hardware sales to the software. So right now we're kind of doing it in the opposite way that it should be done. Um, so that's a little more a little more challenging because again you get competitors that come in the space and things change all the time. But that's okay because we keep focusing on let's just make this an easier process. The hardware sales will come easier, come afterwards. We'll be more sticky with the customers in that regard. Um, so it, it is a challenge though. You don't wanna go completely eliminate, you know, one party division or ignore it. And we, we joke about that out here all the time because all me, the senior execs, the leadership team, we are so excited about all the future stuff we have coming out. And then we always have to come back like, oh wait, we still got this $50 million business over here that we gotta keep growing 30% a year because we have the potential to do that. Um, so you got to kind of walk that line between selling what you have and also getting these new products rolling. And that's been one of our challenges, um, especially like on the SaaS side is I got 50 salespeople. They know how to sell these hardware kits to customers to fix trucks. We have no idea how to sell software. So we're, we're, <laughs> lear we're learning that process and we're B2B, right? So we're not, we're not on a SaaS platform selling 10 or $20 a month subscriptions. We're loading a SaaS platform trying to sell $250 a month business to business informational systems. So there's just a little bit of a, we're, we're learning the sales process is different in that market versus our hardware sales that we've been doing for seven years now, which we got locked down pretty solid. So it's just, it's kind of, we, we joke, you're like, man, this is like day one here again, figuring out how to go sell something. Uh, but I, I know we got the customer base this time. We have the resources, we have great products. We're figuring it out. It's, it's been successful so far in our first year. And I know we got some big aspirations there. That's what they used to say, or maybe still do at Amazon, the, the day one comment. So uh, yeah, you've got that in common. Uh, let's leave business aside for a sec, because I'm sure we'll get down, we'll get back to it, whether we want it or not, we'll keep coming back into these topics. Tyler, as a person, you said you, you used to shoot from the hip and now you had to adapt to the situation at hand, which is, as you said, an executive board and the uh, projections and so on and so on. It, behind that shooting from the hip, I see, I would attribute the speed that you had. And you've pointed it out, this out before, you know, we, we're moving fast. We don't move too slow. We fail fast. Most people don't have this thing that you seem to be having this, this ability to cut through. Uh, one, are you aware of it, that it's, it's a possibly a superpower Two, would you agree that it was one of the main contributors? And uh, I'll get to three after we, we cover these two. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I get it from my dad. He's definitely, he's a business owner. He was always like, go do this, go do that, right? Like quick decisions, let's just go and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and I, you know, I've had a couple of my employees say that too to me. They've said, man, you know, because they, you know, like one of the gentlemen here, he's big into music, right? And he's like, man, I spend weeks, months creating this thing. It's got to be absolutely perfect. <laughs> because what I learned is it doesn't actually have to be exactly perfect before I go put it on the market. And I've seen that with other people I've known through the years as well. They'll spend years developing the perfect software or the perfect whatever. And it's, it's, it's detrimental in a lot of cases. They spend too much time on, on making the product perfect. And you know what I've learned, it's not just a build it and they will come. It's a build it and go market to them and then get them in the funnel and just go sell them something. 
and they mm-hmm. they forget a lot of that part of it is it's just building's a small part of it. You you got to have that marketing and the sales part of it behind it as well. Um, so for me, I I don't know. I, I definitely move faster. I think that most people are accustomed to it, but I think a lot of the people that have been here for a couple of years now understand. Um, and it was funny. We were in a meeting uh, three weeks ago, and we were there's a new service we're about to launch. And everyone's like, okay, well, Tyler, I know you're going to want this like next week, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, honestly, guys, we got Thanksgiving. I'm going on vacation. We got Christmas. We can make this like a late January thing. And they all kind of like just stared at me like I was crazy. Like, I'm with you. And I'm like, we got a lot of these queued up. It's okay. We're, we don't need to push this one. We're, let's make sure this one's right. You know, so I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a balance on both sides of it, which, you know, can be difficult, but you know, I got a lot of great people around me now. And that's one of the big differentiators here is as we've gone, grown, we've hired great talents and great people that are able to help, you know, put some guardrails up and ask the right questions and, and make sure we do things the right way. But how did people, especially in the early days, how did they react to your impatience? You haven't mentioned it, but I, I'm aware <laughs> it, it was I, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure how they react to me when I say it versus when I leave the room are two different things. And I, I know there's a bunch of it still because I call it unintentional chaos. Like I'll, I'll, I try to walk around the building twice a day and just say hi to people and, hey, what are you doing? What, but what I learned is when I start asking people like, hey, how's that thing going on? Or tell me about that. They think it's like super urgent. Yeah. <laughs> so then, I'll, then, I'll, then they'll come talk to me like a week later, like, oh, I stopped everything I was doing. I got you this answer. I'm like, well, I didn't tell you to do that. Why, why did you do that? <laughs> like, oh, because you asked. <laughs> I, I just was curious. So now, you know, I, I've, I've had to re, you know, prefaces questions a certain way and, and reiterate things to people a certain way. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think at first everyone was a little shocked how fast we were moving, how, how we were doing things. And, um, you know, I can say when the company was growing, I only cared about two things, sales and marketing that I was like, that is it. Give me That's sales, nice. give me marketing. Let's just, let's just go yeah. put fuel on the rocket ship. Right. And, and I wouldn't do it any different way, but you know, that left a whole wake of disturbances behind it. And I got, you know, all kinds of horror stories there on, on things that, that happened. But at the end of the day, they were expensive lessons. Um, we learned them and I still wouldn't go back and change it because it, it made us who we are as a company. And I'm just I'm just glad they, they didn't turn out worse than they, than they ended up being. Very interesting uh, side story you mentioned there with the uh, with the comments and the person speeding up. We I've had uh, I was talking to this gentleman called Jason Cohen. He runs a a WordPress hosting company. Uh, interesting story. He stepped down as CEO, even though he's the founder in uh, 20, I don't know, 14, 15. And in 2019, they're raised at a billion. And he had this long post and he kept mentioning it to people of this, this idea of the invisible hammer of the founder, where he was saying that even if you're in a, in a room, in a meeting and you don't say anything and you look a certain way, people yep. are going to check up. You're the, you know, he was, wasn't even the CEO anymore. He was the founder. And yeah. people were like trying to gauge him for a reaction. And he had to, he said, look, guys, I'm going to leave because even a poker face can influence something here. Just uh, mail me in something like that in the, in that article. So uh, another parallel there. So you've, you've adapted in time to drop some of that impatience, to balance some of that impatience with uh, what you said, this new way of looking at things. But something else you, you said, which was interesting in the early days, you were towards sales and marketing SNM. Uh, I've, I'm at a stage right now where I'm risking doing 70% sales and 30% product in a world where people are obsessed with hundred percent product and 0% sales. And then you find out nobody buys your stuff. Um, 
is there a risk actually in being 70 30 surely 95 sales and five percent product is gonna does won't get you in a in a nice place but 70 30 or maybe even 80 20 would you risk against that sorry would you advise against going that far yeah i mean i can so okay me focusing on sales and marketing just meant you know we ended up on the inc 500 list like doubling revenue every year all, all these things that's the good stuff people see yeah the the bad things they don't see are the things that happen to us behind the scenes so for example like marketing was going so fast generating so many sales leads that my sales department voice it was going to voicemail like half the time our sales people mm. couldn't answer the phone fast enough and now you're wasting ad dollars doing that right um tech support 99 percent of their phone calls when we went and looked went to voicemail which means wow. people are buying $10,000 tools and not being able to call someone and get help on it, which is, which is not a good experience. Um, we went almost a year without getting financial statements because we didn't really pay much attention to accounting. We had cash in the bank and things were going good. Um, and all of a sudden you, you bring in a bank to do an audit. Um, and we knew we needed to get things cleaned up a CPA firm. And, you know, it took them a year to clean it all up. And then they told me I had to write off, you know, like $1.2 million or something, something ridiculous. Right. So so you have those. I, I had another employee steal. Uh, they stole about $20,000 from us by forging checks. Again, we just didn't focus on accounting and best practices that we needed to do there. We had a hacker get into our Amazon seller account and divert about $45,000 in funds to their to their bank instead of ours. Um, and again, we didn't have a security team or the security best practices we should have had. So you sacrifice all that to go to go super fast. And maybe in hindsight, I should have hired better people or more people. I don't know. We were hiring so many people every day anyway, it seemed like. And everyone was just kind of learning the, what we were doing. Um, but it was a crazy time. So, yeah, you still got to focus on your product. But at the end of the day, like you said it best, you, you need to get some sales to keep knowing you're on the right, right path. If you don't have sales, you don't go waste two years developing a product to find out nobody wants or it's overpriced or you can't get the ROI out of it. So you got you to gotta find that balance. So between this what you've been through and the opposite, which would be over-optimizing, over-perfect, -per trying to make something perfect and then not selling too much, you would choose the first option. Am I getting this oh, right? It, yeah, I mean, it, it does not need to be perfect. I mean, we release new products all the time that are that are not perfect. So we just go, hey, what's the bare minimum we need to do to get this product out the door so we can get our, get our press release out, get it in the hands of the customers. Then we'll start asking them what's you know what's going on and what things we're doing. So we're we're not afraid at all to put out a product. And you know, obviously we have a brand name and things we want to protect and, and do those things. But if it's something new and unique that people haven't seen before, or, you know, I mean, we have software today. We have a competitor that sells their software for like fifteen hundred dollars a year, two thousand dollars a year, and we have free software that does eighty percent of what it does, mm -hmm. right? So and it's just because we said, hey, they're this is not that big a deal. We can just do this thing and yeah. get more, more brand recognition and all those things. So that's, that's how we roll over here. The, the reason why I'm asking you that is because it, it gets addictive that sales and marketing, especially in the early days, I thought I was a product person, but then I looked back at what we've done in my main company. And I said, we've gotten to some three, 400,000 monthly unique users. And I said, whoa, we're lacking on product, but apparently we've overdone it on, on it isn't sales and, but it is more marketing on, on traffic. So I said, if we've done something right, this was it because it, it gets more addictive to, I guess, obsess over getting more people rather than 
obsessing over the product or at least that's the drug i started taking and now i'm hooked on it, it so it, yeah it's on. hard right you start looking at views and app downloads and usages and things are just you know mooning it's hard not to get excited about that stuff because you you know where it's heading and you know you know what path it's going on um so yeah it, it's hard to to balance the both out I'm, I'm glad we got a great great product manager over here now and she she's the one that's really like okay we need to yeah you got you sales guys do your thing but we're we got to get these other things in line so we can keep scaling up otherwise we can't scale up um so we you know we're learning over here as we go so at one point so initially you repackaged stuff and at one point you started getting into let's just call it tech you you said you've done computer engineering are you technical with like as in coding building product yeah i mean probably i mean more than the average person but not not like a full-on developer so i uh actually i went to college for two years for computer engineering you know, i was took some courses and did some things there and some things in my spare time and everything but then i got promptly booted out of school because i never went to class so that was a <laughs> that was a lesson i learned there and then finishing my degree in business so I kind of got in this unique position where I understood I understood business, I understood how computers work, um, and I I understood the truck repair industry. And it's not too often three things like that all converge into one thing. And that was uh, ironically the position I found myself in here at Diesel Laptops. Um, so having a little bit of background and knowledge and how things work and what need to be done, you know, isn't isn't bad. But I'm I'm definitely more tech savvy than most i i understand a lot of what goes on behind the scenes and how things should work at least at a architectural level good useful ingredients for my question which is yeah. at one point you started making money out of uh let's just call it retail or like commerce stuff and yeah. then you said okay i feel this heat in this area i feel like we could do these things which included tech you've probably had to go hire somebody hire mm -hmm. people maybe a person maybe a team Yep. And that's, I think, where it gets really tricky for people to start shooting from the hip when they hire because it's, you know, people say, people like to say that hire fast, fire fast, whatever, but it, it gets super hard and I'm sure we're on the same page here. Yeah. What made you say, I've seen this in people, especially in SaaS, where they run a very lean one-man operation or one-woman operation and they're making 80% margins, even more, but it gets so hard for them to start hiring somebody because then they've got to perfect, they got to over-optimize and no, no, it needs to be the right person. And then they're expensive, blah, blah, blah. What made you say, are you the type of person who saw the first technical person who convinced you and said, all right, you'll do, or did you take a long time to find that first team? How do you go? So I'll talk about the software side first and I guess the rest of the business second. So yeah. on the software side, it was the first project was really easy. People had a tool that we were selling. They had the, the diagnostic code. They didn't know how to fix it. Right. So I was like, and I got sick of answering the phone every day, telling people how to fix fault codes. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to go build a software program that will have every fault code that's ever existed for every commercial truck. And I'm, I'm going to make it a really simplified version again. And we're just going to tell people, here's the code. Here's a paragraph or two about the code. And here's the probable causes. No troubleshooting trees, none of this other stuff. Let's just boom, go right to the point. Um, so in that case, I was like, all right, let me go find a software developer. So I just went on an outsourcing website. I, I was pretty clear with the guy on, on what I wanted to build um, and how I wanted to like. I need yeah. to interrupt you right there. Yeah. Because you already skipped over the part where you picked the guy. And, and this is this is the very yeah. important part. When you pick the guy, when you have 10 applications, five, 50, who knows how many, 
What made you say, all right, you'll do? Well, the first one, I didn't know, I didn't know what to ask. And exactly. the first one, I was like, man, I don't trust anybody. What do I do? I went, <laughs> I went and found, uh, I went and found a local, a local company here in the mm -hmm. area I'm from. And they did an absolutely horrible job at it. <laughs> so I was like, well, th this, this did not work, but I, I knew I still had the idea. And, you know, now I'm out 10, 15 grand, which was a ton of money at the time. I'm like, all right, let me go try this again. So this time I got very much more specific on what I wanted to look like and how the data should be displayed. And I did screenshots and, and rough mock-ups and everything myself. And I went on a site and I, I, this time I put it up there very detailed. I had sample data ready to go. And I just said, this is what I'm looking for. And, um, you know, I, I interviewed a bunch of people on there and I just want to make sure, hey, can they speak good English? What's their feedback like? Let me talk to some people I used to work for before. All, all the stuff I used to do before when I hired people working for somebody else and other things. Um, and in that case, I was like, all right, now we're not going to give you all the money. Like, let's put this in milestones. Mm -hmm. Like, what's milestone one? How much money is that going to take? And, you know, I was, I was much more on top of it versus trying to find someone local that I thought would be an expert and, and know what I needed. Um, and I asked a lot of questions on what technology stacks should we use and why would you do that? And what about that? You know, so I started just digging more into at least the high level. Um, and it, it really wasn't a very complicated program at the end of the day. It really had like three drop down buttons in it and a little search box. Um, and we need some tools for security and that type of thing. And um, he, they gave me exactly what we needed. And that got us going to our first version. But we, we were much better. Again, first time failed. Second time, let's, let's try from a different angle, a different approach. And see if we can get a better result and we did and that's that we started with just up outsourced workers and i kept doing that for each product but that i was making a mistake because now all of a sudden i'm building a bunch of products and everyone's doing their own thing on different technology stacks and when yeah. you when you want to put that all together that's a problem um and then we we hired you know we hired some software people without really a software manager and i was trying to play that person and i, I shouldn't have um and they really got nothing done for like two years. So uh, but it's all lessons you learn. And, you know, if you have, if you know the idea is right and you, you really believe in it, it's okay if it fails the first time, right? Thomas Edison didn't invite the light bulb the first time around, right? Took a bunch of failures. So we we're like, well, we took a risk there. We could afford it. Um, I'm always willing to take a risk if I can afford to lose it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it worked out the way it does. And now today we have, over 30 people on our software team, which is about 20 more than we had six months ago. And we've got the right people in here. We figured it out. I figured it out. Just just took us a minute to get there on, on what a software company should look like and how we, sh how we should relate. Um, on the other side of it, the non-software people, man, I'm, I'm, I was horrible. I was like, first person that walks through with a pulse gets the job, as long as they can make eye contact and talk with me. Um, and again, all kinds of disaster stories from me doing that. But I was like, you know what? I'm not a great HR person. And I was trying to run the company. I'm like, well, what do I know? What am I going to say? What kind of questions am I going to ask here in 20 minutes so I can figure out if they're a good employee or not? Like, I don't know. They got some experience, hire them. Um, and it, you know, there was, there was some that worked out, some that obviously didn't. Some of those people are still here today at diesel laptops and they're doing great. Um, and other ones, they, they should have never been hired and we probably should have fired them like day one with the stuff they were doing. Um, but now today it's a lot different. We our VP of HR. He used to work at Amazon. He worked at Kia Motors. Um, he, he's been around. He's, he's hired and fired thousands of people and knows what an HR department should work, look like at a corporation. Um, and he's a great guy that got us in here and is allowing us to scale up really quick now. And now you would, I can't ask you that question of, of 
if you would go back with this information because then the question doesn't apply but if you were advising somebody like maybe maybe your 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 child or maybe somebody you're advising that you cannot tell you know a recipe do this and then do this because then you have to do your own stuff if you were to advise them is this still isn't this still the best way to go at it the way you've been which is i don't know i'll just do it and find out i mean it will cost me a couple of mistakes unless i make a mistake that's going to bankrupt me or that's going to finish me uh it's still worth finding out that way would you agree with that or is there a better way would you rather recommend no no sit down take all the notes try overthink it yeah i mean i i'd still so i get this call from people friends acquaintances a couple times a year perfect exactly. i got this idea for an app i got this idea for a desktop thing you know whatever whatever idea they have um and i, I generally tell them all the same thing a little bit about my story <laughs> but but basically if you want to go build a software app, you're going to have to learn a little something about software. So get some books, start asking questions, start talking to people. You, you need to understand what a software development lifecycle is. You need to understand these processes that can evolve. You need to understand some of the technology stack. Like you, you got to at least know the basics and figure your way to baby step into it. I, I get you want to get to here and you're here, but don't, don't, don't go all the way here. Figure out how you can break into the little chunks that each build off each other to get you to your final destination that you're trying to get to um so i'm i'm still the same mindset that's really how we still do things here today too i just got a lot more talented knowledgeable resources around me versus versus day one and that first product wasn't very complicated um it'd be a lot more expensive journey if it was a complicated project uh product but you know we we made it through it um, and that product, that first one I was talking about still lives on today. We just, it's in a couple of new versions, but a lot of that core database is still, still living and breathing today, being used by tens of thousands of users. So it uh, worked out well for us. I, I want to double down with my question on something, not what you pointed out, but very close to it, which is what I was trying to say earlier about when you're advising, maybe you, your children or maybe somebody you're just advising. I've seen sometimes that when you, when you advise somebody, you, at one point you have to let them make their own mistakes because they're really bound to make that mistake. And probably it's for the best because unless, until you feel the pain of your very hard conviction, you won't learn it. So in your case, you've had to go through yours, uh, spending the 10, 15 K for instance, or not hiring a software manager. If somebody would have told you, I'm guessing you wouldn't have just said, you know what? I really believe in that. Let me just get a software manager, pay them a hundred grand a year or whatever, even though you could have seen at that one what you could do with a hundred grand because you didn't have the pain, maybe the, the conviction that you really need them. Yeah. Is this, is this just how life is or is there really another way? Because if that's how life is, it's a bit liberating. Uh, you yeah. go out there and you're ready to get a beating every now and then, but you know, it's from the, for the better. Yeah, I think most people think they already know everything, right? Like, especially business owners and entrepreneurs, like they know, right? It's their baby, it's their company, it's it's their thing. So I, I can say, you know, we have a lot of, I'm, I'm in my mid 40s. I got a lot of 20 year olds that work here, a lot of young 30 year olds. And, you know, we go to some of these meetings and, you know, I they start talking on a certain path and I'm like, okay, I've been on that path four times. I know exactly where it's going to end. Exactly. But I, I just don't say anything. <laughs> so That's I'm like, exactly you know what? what? I'm, I'm like, they, they need to, they need to go down and understand this lesson themselves and why that didn't work. And I, I know it's going to cost me a little bit of time and money, but 
me telling them it's not going to work isn't isn't going to be a learning experience here. And it's 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 the great short term answer. But again, we always go back to what's best for long term. We mm-hmm. need people to go through these experiences and work these things out themselves. Um, because just handing someone the answers all the time just means they're going to constantly be coming to you for answers. They're they're not going to be the people you need them to be as employees. And we ran into that problem here with a lot of managers. They just got they weren't they were doers. They weren't thinkers and strategizers. And that's what we needed. And it was our own fault because we weren't we weren't allowing them to do that. Um, and we were looking for those people. So it, it takes some time to start realizing those things as a company. And um, I can tell you now, there's been times my senior VPs have been like, Tyler, we're inviting you to this meeting, but but please don't talk or tell me your opinion. Just just let it, just let them go through the process. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll just sit here. Which like you said earlier, sometimes freaks them out. So like, why is he not talking? He should be talking. He's not talking. He's just sitting there. You're uh, hammering so you, them. Yeah. Visible <laughs> hammer. Exactly. Exactly. So and that's very interesting uh, learning what you said about letting people make their own mistakes because ultimately it's your investment in them. Not only time and effort, but at one point, even money you, you mentioned, rightfully so. Yeah, for me, it's always been time has been my bigger complaint than money. So I look at my software development team. I'm like, you know, this, this is especially more true six months ago, but I'd be like, man, I got ideas. I got money. Why is nothing getting done? Right. You know, <laughs> and I'm frustrated. The software team's frustrated because they didn't have great management and processes and they're getting pushed around to different things and putting out fires and not, you know, all this, you know, un, un, you know unexpected works landing in their lap all the time. Um, so it's just, it wasn't a good situation. And it, the funny thing is I, what I saw going on there, I knew what, I knew what it was. It was leadership and processes because I had just went through the same thing in sales and I just went through the same thing in marketing. Like until you get the right people in there that know how those departments should operate and get everyone working on the same sheet of music, you, you just chaos ensues. And I've gone through it. So I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be patient, put the right people in here. I, I know what it's going to take. And I can say six months later, I'm like, man, their velocity is 10 X what it was six months ago. Um, and me dropping a lot of money, going to hire those managers and the people that need to be there well worth it at this point. But six months ago, I would have been like, what do you create? Like they came to me literally and said, Tyler, we need to put a million dollars on payroll. I'm like, are you sure about that? <laughs> like, yeah, that's a, that's a big, that's a big, it's a lot of zeros and commas there. And in hindsight, it was the absolute right thing to do. I mean, six months later, we're having record revenue months and, and things are going well and we're executing and building things and we're having conversations with big fortune 500 companies on a variety of different things that we would not be able to have without, without the team being able to execute like the way they are and show clients what we can do. Um, so yeah, a million dollars, a big investment in labor, but well worth it right now. I'm going to ask you for some personal advice. Be, be my father for, for a second, my, <laughs> my spiritual father, my ancestral yeah. father. I'll, I'll, this is the last question I have on that topic because then we'll move on letting people let make their own mistakes. Uh, I'm, I'm not a father. I'm 24. I don't have any children, but I kind of see it coming, you know, like there's a big punch coming to my face and I need to duck it somehow, which is, I know that at my current stage, I'm so attached too attached to, uh, having somebody close to me could be a sibling, could be a close friend, be on the right path. And as you said, sometimes you need to let people make their own mistakes. The, the harder they press against what they believe, the harder they need to feel that pain. Um, how, how do I, how do I make peace with that? With the fact that somebody, sometimes I need to let people make their own mistakes when, when I know a bit better, uh, part, I, I'm 24. So I think my, the younger part of me keeps dragging on side. I feel like as I get a bit older, uh, I, I get far, farther and farther from that, but any advice on that? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're in your twenties, like a lot of 20 year olds in, in my, and a lot of us working on here, right? They, 
you know, the world's theirs to conquer, right? Like adulthood, all these things are happening in life. I, I, I get it. The, the problem is unless people ask for help, telling them isn't going to do anything at all. So I don't mind when someone comes to me and starts asking opinions on things. And a lot of times when I'm hearing what they're wanting to do, I won't, I won't tell them what to do, but I'll start asking questions to get them to think about it a different way. So let's say we're going down this path. I'm like, okay, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or have you thought about this? So I'll try to throw those little nuggets out there. Sometimes you can see their mind start to shift and they can start saying, oh, that, that you're right. That's not a good thing. And a lot of times it's because they don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. So we have a lot of things going on over here and our software team will hand them a task and they'll, they'll take a hard left, not understanding that we need to make a hard right because there's a lot of other pieces connecting to this thing. Um, and when your company is growing fast and you're hiring an obscene amount of people, it's really hard for everyone to understand all the moving pieces that, that you have going on. Um, so if people aren't asking for help, I just try to ask questions, <laughs> generally speaking, and that's probably the best, the best they're going to get. And when, you know, when they get knocked down, it's not a, I told you so it's like, Hey, tell me what went wrong here. And you know, they, you want to make sure they learn from it. So we always tell people here, it's okay to make a mistake. We're, we're perfectly okay with you making a mistake. We just don't want you making the same mistake twice. <laughs> that tells mm -hmm. us you're not learning. That's the bigger problem than you making a mistake. So let's make sure we learn from these things and they don't happen again. Um, so I go back to all the bad things that happened from us. I'm, I'm fortunate it was only 40 some thousand dollars that got stolen by the hacker, not $400,000, right? It could have been much worse if that happened to us later. So mistakes are okay. You just got to be willing to deal with the consequences of, of those mistakes happening. And as a manager, as a leader, there is no way you're going to get everyone in your organization to do the things the way you want to do it, want them done. Just you need to get that idea out of your head immediately. Focus on results, not the actual plan that they put together to make that happen. And that's, I think that's the part that's really tough for a lot of entrepreneurs and managers and leaders to, to understand. Yeah. Cool. Getting back to, to the initial phases when you were uh, getting your feet wet with software and what you just related the story about the local team, not going well, but then having the, that information to move forward. Um, your ability to take on uncertainty comes to the surface in that situation as well. You said initially you had to spend 10, 15 K and that was a lot of money at that point. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for numbers, but I'm asking what's going through your mind when let's just say, maybe not your kids, maybe imagine a separate scenario. Somebody's making uh, the business is making 50 K before the founder salary, let's say 80 K and now, so out of 80 K profit before the salary, you need to spend 10, 15 K. That's a risky move. It won't bankrupt you if, if it doesn't go well, but I can see a part of you being worried there that, you know, I can actually put that into my salary, uh, those 10, 15 grand. So that's what I think your ability to move fast comes through. You'll be able to take on risk and uncertainty and your ability to invest because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, what you mentioned about the, I'll make this comment and then I'll let you uh, tackle this if you wish to. What you mentioned was important because I feel like too many people, myself, in, I speak from experience here, guilty as charged, would be too obsessed to getting an eight out of 10 in terms of software development where, I don't know, I think 10 would be like a NASA level engineer who does machine learning and what have you, when all they need in fact is a five out of 10, maybe four yeah. out of 10. Probably the engineers you got, the local agency was a two out of 10 because you've invested and you found out, you spent 15K to find out, I don't need a two out of 10, I need a four or five out of 10. But I feel like I've been, a, I've making this mistake and I'm 
slowly shedding it where there's no point in spending the extra hours to get somebody who might be a seven, not a 6.1. So for point for 0.9 points, spend 10 more hours when all you need is a five out of 10. What would you advise people on this, on this issue? Yeah, no, I'm more of a three or four out of 10 type of guy, right? Like I, I don't need it. I don't need it. Perfect. I, I got to get the hands of my customer and, and keep in mind, um, you know, our customer base is a lot of diesel tech shop owners. Like we don't, we don't need the Apple interface, right? We need, you know, something better than a command line interface, right? At the end of the day, just make it simple and easy to use big buttons and big drop downs. So we, we just go back to, let's just make it simple, give them a little bit of what they need and let's try to get the reaction here. And you, you talk about the risk and everything too with the money. The, the part that I don't talk about a lot is the fact that we're bootstrapped. So I didn't go get a bunch of, in, a bunch of investor money. I didn't go get a bunch of bank loans. I, I didn't do any of that. But I was also debt-free when I did diesel laptops, except for my house. I only owed a little bit left on my house. So mm -hmm. I was in a fortunate spot to say, man, I can ride this out for a long time. We got cash in the bank. The company was pretty much profitable right away selling the hardware sales. I just chose to keep dumping it into all these other things that weren't making money at the time, uh, which I was okay with because I didn't need the money. And even from the salary side, I think when I first put myself on, I didn't take a salary for the first 90 days. I think when I did, I gave myself like 50 grand a year and I'm hiring employees at like, 60 and 70 right so um it took me a long time to be comfortable taking money out of the business because you're putting so much back into inventory so much back into r d into receivables and, and all these other things um but yeah it doesn't have to be perfect man like that's I, there, there's a company i remember i i was when i was working for someone else we were buying their their platform to manage our used truck inventory and we could push it to our website and our our employees would use it to like look at the specs and costing and all that stuff um, and we use it for a couple of years and I quit diesel laptops. I called them right away. Cause I'm like, man, I think I could do something with that. And this it's like, ah, man, my product's just not ready yet. I'm like, dude, you've been selling it for four years. <laughs> like, like sooner or later, you got to rip the bandaid off and just, just go with it. it it's never going to be perfect. Um, so I think everyone's got their, you know, their own impression that, but man, like I said, the market moves fast. All of a sudden, uh, you hate to go spend a bunch of time on something or find out a competitor releases something really comparable or better or slightly worse than yours before you and VC to market, it, it happens. Uh, so you got to be cognizant of that. Investing question for Tyler, not stock market investing, but I guess it could apply to that as well. Um, let's say, take some numbers just off the top of my head. I invest 20K when my business is making 100K. It doesn't go well, so I need to invest another 20K. I've, I'm down 40K. Boom. Guess what? Our business now does 400K or 300K. Same numbers again, at 300K, I invest 100K and it keeps on growing, keeps on growing, you know, uh, big picture. When do you, when do you sell, not sell, when do you start? Because you're always selling today for a better future. Yep. But, and I guess you could, you know, if I'm making a hundred million, that surplus is enough for me as well to take off some of it without hurting the business. Well, when, when do you draw that line where you trade to, when you don't trade today for three years from now that much anymore? Yeah. So I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little story here. So three years ago, maybe it's a four, three, it's called three. Someone, you know, once you start hitting these, these lists of fastest growing companies, that's when, that's when all the PE guys and investment guys start calling you. Right. Hmm. So, you know, I remember one coming in there and at first I took all those meetings and, and somebody, they, they literally gave me an LOI for like $60 million for my company like three years ago. 
And I was like, wow, that's a lot of money, right? And I was like, well, what do I need it for right now? I'm still developing stuff. We haven't quite figured out everything yet. And and I, I did a pass on it. Um, and then uh, right before COVID, um, we had a, we had another company that was really serious and wanted to do something with us, but now went from 60 to 100 million. And we're like, oh, that's a, that's a lot of money, you know? And then we looked at it and it wasn't, it wasn't the best deal for us at diesel laptops. So, you know, it was taking a lot of debt and I lose control and, you know, all those things. I'm like, man, we're, we're still not there yet. Um, and now since COVID, our, our company's just really exploded and executed and we got SaaS models now and all these other things. And I, I know our, our valuation is even higher. Um, so, you know, but now I can look at like, well, man, now, now, now maybe it is time to take some chips off the table a little bit in the company, right? And take some money off and bring an investor in and, I think I'd be open to doing something like that, but only if um, it was the right strategic partner that brought more than just a check that could actually help my company get to the next level. I think it'd be the only time I would do something like that. And then I can, so I'm in a fortunate spot where we got a very great company growing very fast, very profitable. And because I own it, I, I have the options to do those things. And I, I can tell you the, the opposite story of someone else I know. Um, you know, he had an idea and he, he didn't have the money to do it. And him and his buddy had an idea, right? So they had shown 50% and they, they went and told somebody about it and they flew down to Miami and the guy said, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you $5 million for this idea, but I want half. I'm like, oh, this is great, right? Boom. First meeting, got $5 million. Um, you know, then they, they bought their stuff and started doing things and now their business is exploding. Um, but now he's like, man, now that investor, he doesn't want out unless he makes like a 10x return on his money and they don't want to really help us or do anything. I only own 25% now. And, you know, he's, he's trying, he's starting to realize like, you know, there's a negative to great, getting all that money up front as well. He gave up a ton of equity and a ton of upside. Um, and he goes in hindsight, he goes, I didn't even need to do that. <laughs> because if I would have struggled through it, I probably would have came to the same conclusion without, without getting that 5 million. I, I don't, most of my company and be in a better spot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think everyone needs to take a look at that and balance, balance that. Um, so for me, yeah, I think, I think there's a future of me here, probably taking some chips off the table and, you know, bringing in the right person, but it's gotta be the right circumstance for not just me personally, but for diesel laptops and all the employees. I'm not, I don't want to go out there and sell the entire company or do anything crazy. Um, but I think all the things we want to accomplish when I talk about at the top of the hour, changing an industry, probably gonna take a little more than me cash flowing and bootstrapping to, to make that happen. So we're going to need to either take on debt or take on a great partner to make those goals happen. That's super useful. Is is it that grass is always greener on the other side? Because the person who got a 10 million valuation of 5 million in cash, uh, that was a, they've taken the fruit earlier on, not later on, but that's what they traded. That was de-risking the whole thing massively for them. It's just that it tapers off in a different manner. Yep. Is grass always greener on the other side? You know, Could I be. don't, yeah, it could be. <laughs> it could, you know, it's like it's like it's like you're in high school dating the hot girl. How do you how do you know the, the next one over there is a little bit better for you or something? I, you know, you don't know. You at the end of the day, everyone's gonna do what they think is right for them in their business. And I think a lot of people just don't understand though when they take that money early, what they're giving up and how much that dollar is worth three, five, ten years from now, because they're the one doing all that effort. And I, I always go back to people: don't go raise money unless you absolutely need to do it. A lot of people just do it because they think they need to. They're like, oh, I'm going to spend it on sales and marketing. Unless you know what the hell you're doing in sales and marketing, you don't need to go raise money. <laughs> like, go, <laughs> go figure out your formula first before you just go throw a bunch of money at the wall because I guarantee you, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and, and figure those things out. And the fact is, if you can't bootstrap it and get some sales and some traction going, 
you probably got some other things you need to go fix inside your company before you go down that road. The the moment I think of a of an older me, as much as I can imagine him, or the moment I speak to somebody who's been through life, um, something common I see is that they seem that's what season means. You've been through the seasons. They seem unfazed by more and more things. Uh, and they get closer to that thing that 99% of the stuff doesn't really matter. Uh, an example, we kept talking about it. You spent 50 grand, 15 grand, and it went to shit. But, you know, I'm sure it felt bad at that point. Now, looking back, you, I'm pretty sure you're saying, well, whatever, who cares? 15 grand at that moment, because now you know everything that unfolded. How do you tell between what matters and what doesn't? Because that, that's yeah. why you gain when, when you age and you get wisdom. And that's why you don't have when you're young. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's funny. The, the, the older I get, I feel like the smarter I get, right? I always say, so an, another good example of that is my family owned a truck dealership 15 years ago. And we didn't know anything about running a truck dealership. Like if there's a hundred ways to lose money on a truck dealership, I, I always say we found 101, you know, because we didn't bring in the seasoned experienced people that we thought we should have. And that's what you see inside a lot of companies that are trying to grow. They, they don't bring in the right people to help them grow their company and de-risk themselves. Um, and that's really, you know, why you want employees there to, to help do those things. So it's a, it, it, it's a struggle, especially when you're young, like starting out with the company, like how do you know what you don't know, right? It's the unknown unknowns. And we, we talk about all the time in project planning and project management here. Um, and it's really on kicking those rocks over as much as you can to figure out what you don't know. And I, I know when I was younger, I never thought that way. I just thought I knew, and then here we go, or we're going that direction. And, and that's, that's why we did things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny how time has the ability to, to make yourself feel a little bit smarter. Cause I guarantee you, if I went back around that dealership now, 15 years later, it would have been a total different story and a much different outcome. Uh, but we just didn't know. And, and you got to either learn it yourself. It goes back to your question about, you know, if someone wants to build an app or whatever, you either, you either got to go learn it yourself, at least enough to, to be dangerous, or you got to go find someone that can, that you trust that can help get you there. Um, and those are, you know, two, two difficult things, no matter what path you take on, but you have to do it if you're going to be in, be in that type of business. So is that the answer that, the way to tell between the 99% and the 1% is that you cannot know it until you go through the 99%? Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, it's a really tough question to answer, right? Like everyone's probably everyone's path unanswerable. And story. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, I, I just know for me now, it's a lot different than it was six years ago. For me today, it's I'm going to hire great people and I'm going to put trust and confidence in them to do these things that I'm paying them a lot of money to do. Um, it's like my, my VP of HR was just like senior VPs, just like, Hey, you know, we got these reviews coming up for all of us, senior VPs and people that report to you. And I was like, Charlie, I'm like, do we really need to do these? Because the fact is if they, if you guys aren't performing at a high level, you're not going to be here. So you guys are all going to get high marks, but that's, that's really the, the truth of the matter for what I pay you guys. Like I'm paying you a lot of money. That's great for you. The bad part is, is I'm expecting a lot out of you to help grow this company and get us to where I need to be. Um, so it's a, it's really a double-edged sword in, in those regards, but yeah, you, you got to find out those unknown unknowns as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So with, with your VPs, the grade is the fact that they're at the table. The, the grade is the seat they have at the table, the, the mark. Yeah. I mean, for the ones that report to me directly, it's, 
hey, here's, they, they're all going to get great reviews because they've all executed well. And the ones that haven't executed well, those are the, those are the horrible parts of being an entrepreneurship is when you got to, being a business owner and leader is you got to fire people once in a while. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, um, you know, it's one of those things you got to be really brutally honest with people through the whole process. If they, if they suck, they suck. You got to tell them, you can't tell them behind their back or bitch about them. You, you got to just be like, here's your, here's the situation. And we tell that with all of our managers. Like if you, if an employee comes into a review um, and they don't know exactly what score they're going to get, you've done something wrong as a manager. They, they need to know that before they get there. And if they're getting fired, there should be no surprises at all. They should know exactly why they've been fired and what chances they've had and, and all those things. Um, and you can't be afraid to get rid of, get rid of people. Even sometimes they're your, your best producers, but if they come with a lot of other negatives, you, you got to cut them go. All right. Back to Tyler Robertson as a person, because once again, we're going to get back to business sooner or later. Um, you wake up every, every day. How do you decide uh, in that moment? I mean, it's not actually when you wake up, it's when you get into the office, I guess you get into your office. How do you decide what you work on that day? Or when you, when it gets to that moment where you decide for the next week, month, how do you approach this? Yeah. So a, a lot of it comes down to strategic planning. So our company, one of the transitions we've made is that shoot from the hip to this strategically minded company. So we started that process three years ago. Um, I can tell you there's a lot of a lot of people in our company that didn't make it through that process. Either they tapped out or we tapped them out. But you know, obviously a lot of us did because none of us knew what does that mean to be a strategically minded company? What is strat planning? What what are our goals as a company? <laughs> what are these things that we need everyone in the company to understand and what are we driving towards? So it took us a while to get there. Uh, but now we all, every department, the company has a goal, departments have goal, individuals have goals, and everyone knows what we need to do to accomplish things. And we're really mindful on the senior team to say, okay, what do we really need to make sure we're focused on this quarter? We have monthly meetings. I just had one today with my product team going through all, you know, quarter one and quarter two product map roadmaps. So we're really deliberate on what we choose to focus our attention on and where we spend time. And I think my time personally changes depending on what's going on and, and situations. So right now, unfortunately, we don't have a vice president of marketing. So I'm filling that role. So I have to spend some time over there with that team, make sure things are there. But I used to spend a lot of time on the software side. Now I spend zero time on the software development side because I got great leadership over there that can do those things. Mm -hmm. um, so me personally, I use, you know, I use Asana. Our entire company does to keep track of a lot of what needs to be done. I know my, it's my personal to-do list is in Asana and I prioritize it in there and I make sure, you know, I, I work on the things that need to be worked on and try not to get distracted too much by Facebook or the stock market or news or employees or what those things are and block off time in my day to go focus and get those things done. Right. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. How much more have you got before you have to... to I, I have a 3.30 meeting that I have to go into. And right now it's 3.10 for you. Okay. Yeah, I got 20 minutes. Okay. Um, so 15 more minutes because I'm supposing you need the buffer as well? Yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Appreciate that. You've um, said before in this episode, and I promised I'll get back to it, guerrilla marketing. Um, and I think it ties in nicely with your with what you have to do now, fill in the role of the VP of marketing. You said, and I'm quoting you here from the AMA, I focused on SEO on YouTube right away. Our YouTube channel has over 7 million views and diagnostic tools, totally crazy, to which I would agree. I made myself do at least one SEO task per week, et cetera, et cetera. Is, so you said strat plan as well, strategic planning as well. 
Um, how does that go? Do you so you set tasks for yourself? So at one point you're in task setting mode, and then you sometimes when you do an SEO task per week, I suppose it's maybe a day or maybe the, the time comes for that task every week. And at that moment, I'm guessing you have to switch into I'm doing the task now mode. Is that how it works? Or do you just pick it up whenever? It just happens that you pick up one of these tasks per weekend. I'm, I'm zeroing in on this SEO task example, but it yeah. could be anything else. No, that's fine. When I when I first started, that's exactly what I did. I just said every, I don't know what day it was, Monday or Tuesday, first thing, I'm going to get one SEO thing done. And it could have been you know, writing a blog post. It could have been trying to find some link backs from some industry-specific sites. It could be putting a video together, whatever it was. So I was like, man, if I do one thing each week, it's 52 things a year. It's probably 52 things more than my competitors are doing. None of them are even caring about SEO, right? So I'm like, I think I can go grab a lot of this organic search traffic off the internet pretty quickly by, by doing a lot of things. So we, we learned a lot there. And today we still do SEO stuff. So I do a weekly podcast show. And now we've learned, yeah, you do the show, but now let's split it up. Let's do a little blurbs here on Instagram. Let's do a blog post. Let's put something on Twitter. You know, you, you mix it all up you know, however you want to slice and dice that same content. Um, but it's, it's taken a while for our team to understand what SEO is. So that was the other problem is you bring a bunch of marketing people. They don't teach SEO at, at college, by the way. So, so you get them in here and you put them through SEO courses and how do you title things? How do you name things and, and all these things? And um, they're, they're getting it. Um, we hired a technical writer now as well. Um, so we have, you know, writers on staff and we, we, we do all these things just to create content. So the bigger you get, you still got to keep pumping up the content and making it relatable to people and not just creating the content, but then figuring out how to convert it on your, on your websites and your platforms into sales leads. So there's, there's a lot of conversation that goes on every single day about those things. And we're, we're not afraid to rip up a website and redo it if we think we can eke out another couple percent here or there. Um, so it's, it's always scary doing those things. You never want to lose traffic, but you know, we always try to take a long-term approach as well. When you say rip off a website and uh, improve two, three percent, that means canceling out everything you've done and then rebuilding it, revamping it, right? Yeah. So we have a we have a training website right now. It's, it's we offer these training classes through the U.S. and we also do online courses. Um, and and our SEO is kind of garbage because we built it the first time just to sell a bunch of products, and we didn't really focus on SEO. And now we're like, okay, time to time to time to nuke this thing and, and redo it from scratch. And Let's focus on search engine optimization instead of the actual products themselves. And let's get the right traffic to the website. So we got that actually going on with two, two of our websites and a good chunk of our main website as well. Um, and again, when you rank like our main website, diesellaptops.com, when you search for anything in our space, we're, we're like organic top five, you know, all over the place. Um, so you always get a little nervous about like, oh man, I'm going to go change that page. It's already ranking organically, but you know, at the end of the day, we always go back to, well, it's still the right thing to do for a lot of reasons. Let's go do it. We may take a short-term hit, but it's about the long-term, never the short-term. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, but sometimes fix it as well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We're, it, it depends on what we're trying to do. So you may rank or great organically for something, but it's not converting. So that's great that you're there, but people are bouncing off the page right away, or they're not engaging or chatting with us, not filling out a form. Let's, let's go, there's no sense, then why, why even have that traffic if it's not gonna convert? So let's go modify that page up. And yeah, we may, maybe it hurts our SEO, maybe it makes it better, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out, we'll do our best, but let's go redo that page or that part of our website so we do convert. 
And that's really what it's about is converting the traffic at the end of the day. Interesting. I want to spend the last 10, nine minutes I have with you, Tyler, for which, by the way, I'm very grateful. This this was all super useful and I love you. I, I wanted to point out earlier, but we, we just got on, uh, taken uh, over by other topics. I appreciate the honesty you have and the, the um, openness you have to share all this stuff you've been through. It's very inspiring. I want to take the last few moments to talk about the topic of time. So uh, a quick thing is you've mentioned again the the, the training. Um, how what what made you want to go into that? Unless I guess you're charging very very much because it's an unscalable business, and I feel like entrepreneurs the the more their business grows, or maybe I'm just too drunk on SaaS and software, they they are becoming paranoid about the time and they will not make a decision if it implies spending a minute of their time per day because that minute compounds and as you said uh, we're not growing any younger we're not buying back our time so trainings and one last thing i've had is if your main person who's taking care of that goes away just like marketing right now you have to come in and fill in those shoes am i correct here Right? It depends on the department, but training, there, there's probably people that could step in and fill some of the, probably like the training manager left, it'd probably be a split thing where we split up his duties to different people. Mm-hmm. Some I'm sure would follow me. Um, but like, why do we do training? Yeah, because they're physical training centers that we put up through the United States and you got employees and insurance and buildings and rent and, and all these things. And like you said, it's a hard scalable business. So why do it? Well, the number one reason we want to do it, um, it started with was create the moat. So we wanted to be able to talk to customers and say, look, you not only get a tool from us, that's just one piece of the puzzle. Because you buy a tool, you need training on how to diagnose things properly. You need training on how to use the software. And a lot of people, though we offer online classes free all over, there's tons of YouTube videos, but people love the classes. They love coming in there for a day or two and and learning and, and engaging themselves and bettering themselves and educating themselves. So we've always said, man, if we just broke even doing the, the, the training classes, that'd be a good thing for us. We have our brand across the United States. You get diesel techs in there to spend days at a time. It's our instructors. They get to know our brand and, and all these things. That's great. And then where it stemmed out from that was, um, that was continuing education. We found another partner who said, hey, how about you do these entry-level diesel technician classes? You can actually produce more diesel technicians in the marketplace. There's a huge diesel tech shortage. And we can make money doing that. So all of a sudden that helped to make it profitable. And then we also had a lot of the people that make trucks and components of the trucks. They actually don't have training centers. So they said, hey, you guys have training centers and diesel techs and trucks there. Can you just do our training for us at our facilities? So all of a sudden this thing that started out as just doing one thing. Now we have multiple different training opportunities happening out of it, all of which is increasing our brand, raising awareness in our brand. They're profitable things that we're doing. Um, and even more so now as we're talking to bigger companies. So our bread and butter customers have been the small mom and pop shops. Now you got these huge companies that have hundreds of locations. They're saying, hey, we, we want your services. What do you guys have? And we're like, oh, well, you guys are spread out. Great. You can buy diagnostic tools. We offer all these variety. We got hands-on training centers in the cities you're located in. We have repair information, our SaaS platform. We have that. We have these parts lookup things. So all of a sudden, nobody else in our market can offer that to that customer. We are the only ones. So we've really built that moat and separate ourselves from all of our competitors that are trying to get into that space um, while helping people be smarter fixing trucks, which goes to our core business. What do we do? We're an efficiency solutions for these people that are fixing things. So it all goes back to that common denominator. 
when you started the training business, did you have enough people between you and the front line so that if somebody goes down, you don't have to f- step in? Or was that not the case back then? It, it, it started with one person just doing software training online. And that's mm. all we thought we needed. And then it just quickly migrated into oh. people like, man, you have a class we can come to and spend more time there versus the one hour. Like, okay, but who's going who's gonna to come to Columbia, South Carolina for a four-day, four-hour training class? And lo and behold, it like overbooked the first class. We're like, oh. what is going on? And then we said, okay, let's do one on electrical. Let's do one on advanced electrical. Let's do one on hydraulic systems. Let's do one on canvas. And people, people like to show up for training classes. So it was one of those things where we just did it for free to sell more tools. And all of a sudden now we're like, man, we have a seven figure revenue business doing just training classes. And the, the biggest buyers of that stuff are big companies. Um, and they buy 10, 20, $100,000 of the classes at one time. Uh, because they, they're willing to invest in their employees. And there's not a lot of companies like us that offer training classes throughout the United States uh, that kind of cover all makes, all models. So it's a unique thing we have. Cool. Moving on to the second part of this topic of time, because uh, I've mentioned that earlier, uh, with the risk of having a question that might be changing the topics too violently, is, is the last question I'd like to pose to you, Tyler. I know you said you don't like thinking too much about the future, or at least not in that way uh choosing to be more in the present and the challenges at hand if you have anything on your mind once i pose my question what what will be left of tyler robertson's legacy at the end of his life anything that comes to mind in regards to that yeah that's you know you know i go back to what i said earlier how many people have the opportunity to really change the way their industry works I mean, I'm in an industry, like you said, it's a huge industry. There's 9 million commercial trucks on the road, billions of dollars of freight hauled all around. Plus we do off-highway machinery and agriculture and all those things. And that's that's the legacy we want is to build a company. I want to be known for, hey, we built a company. We employed a lot of people and created a great life for them. A lot of the people that have been here from the beginning, they're, they're going to be millionaires and this thing's, all, this thing's all said and done. We created something out of nothing and created a great life for a lot of people. And we help solve some industry problems that are that have really been brewing for a long time. And that's the legacy we want to leave at Diesel Laptops. So I always go back to it's it's never about the money. That that just comes from us solving the problems over here. Um, and that's that's the important thing to me is we built something that's around for a long time. And that's the realization I'm trying to wrap my head around is I can't run diesel laptops forever. So how do I how do I build something that can keep going on without me? Whenever I choose to step away or don't choose to step away, it happens for me because like, you, you know, fate happens at any point, right? So let's make sure we put the right pieces in motion to, to make sure this thing continues on. That's beautiful. And it's also beautiful because we've gone full, full circle. I love it when that happens in a podcast. We started with the why. That was one of the first questions and this, this wasn't planned. And I feel like it's a bit uh, artistic, poetic when, when that happens, when we're going full circle with a question. Tyler, I highly appreciate you doing this. What, where should we direct people listening to this? Where should we direct them to keep in touch with you or uh, buy anything that you're making? So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on there posting all the time. I love engaging with people on LinkedIn and learning. Uh, I tell you what, that platform, I'll do easily over 2 million impressions on my profile this year. Um, and it costs you $0. So anyone not using LinkedIn, they need to use it. That's the greatest networking tool ever invented. So I'm on there all the time. That's the best place to go. Um, if someone's happening to read about this and they want to talk about, they're listening and or watching and want to know more about diesel laptops, 
diesellaptops.com is the place to go. Otherwise, just search for Tyler Robertson uh, right on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm sure I'll pop up. There we go. I'll stop the recording right now. Tyler, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for the invite.